I, I saw that you uh, attended a few CEO camps, Mark, and I, I'll probably never attend one, but um, <laughs> Me just asking you, what goes on at those things? Are you able to- You ready? Yeah, no, I'm ready. Uh, I'm ready. Time out. Tyler, who are we taking a time out with today? Well, thank you, Kevin. Well, it's time to put the children to bed, y'all, and go hunting for some dinner with Mark Donahue, founder of Life Guides. And Mark, thanks for uh, coming on our show. You're the first person outside of Rochester to be on here, as we can tell you have a little suntan. The <laughs> first question out of the gate, Mark, is what's in Mark Donahue's golf bag? What kind of sticks are you swinging nowadays? Uh, yeah, I've got Clevelander, Clevelander and TaylorMade, but uh, uh, I haven't played uh, golf actually in three years since I live in Florida. That's the uh, life of an entrepreneur. I did play college varsity golf, though, and uh, a good game. Uh, just uh, there are other priorities right now. So a guy that lives in Florida, where if you had to leave tomorrow, drop everything, where are you buying a plane ticket to? What's your favorite vacation spot? all about where the people are and who you're hanging out with so depends on who you're traveling with i'm traveling the right people almost any place is fun but you know mostly uh i like hanging out up in napa i'm involved with o'brien estate winery up there so now they have uh, a lot of winemaker and chef friends so that's always a a a good gig to say the least Uh, yes i would say so (laughs) my brother-in-law and you would be best friends because he was uh seriously contemplating i think that ten thousand dollars a month to go move out to napa to work at one of the wineries him and his wife have gone there i think four times in the last two years he's obsessed with napa great great quality of life if that's what your passion is yes i i've gone through the living on a winery and the estate kind of life for a few years and as I was building a venture capital fund in the Bay Area and uh, kind of commuting to San Francisco back when the commute was only 45 minutes from Napa uh, the old days but uh, yeah I mean that's great but they uh, nice to be around amazing people and living in places like San Francisco or Miami or New York uh, Boston yeah all, all places I call home yeah. yeah, Mark, I was scrolling through your resume today on LinkedIn, and I, I, I'm still scrolling. Um, what impresses a guy like Mark Donahue nowadays? Like, I'm serious. I was going through so many things you've been in. Today, on, you know, 2021, what impresses Mark Donahue in a person? How about that? What, what is it? What, what does something that your employees do that impress you? A person impressing me versus an employee might be slightly different lenses because the employee uh, might have a certain uh, outcome related to that, related to life guides. But but generally uh, what captures my attention is when somebody is fully living their life purpose and is aligned with spirit or, you know, whatever they believe in, but let's say the, you know, the overall positive direction of humanity and is, you know, furthering, something that's just basic goodness in, in the world. And I, I tend to be very attracted to people who approach everything from an entrepreneurial mindset because entrepreneurship's about managing change to create desired outcomes. And certainly there are, there are a lot of dimensions of the system we're living in today that need to change so we can have a more uh, sustainable, uh, vibrant, happy uh, 
healthy planet for everyone. I'll get on. I'll, I'll get on that soapbox with you, Mark. <laughs> I, I, I fully believe a lot of everything that you just mentioned there. Um, all right, so you're in Napa. Uh, one more question to really learn a little bit more about Mark and who you are. You're in Napa, first night, one of your CEO retreats, karaoke. What song do you pick and why? Yeah, well, you know, I'm, I'm not a singer, but uh, I do uh, play percussions and music and hang out with a lot of musicians. Probably uh, an Eric Clapton song, probably changed the world. Ooh. Uh, yep. <laughs> okay, moving on, Mark. So I, I got to ask, conscious capitalism, um, it was all throughout, it pretty much follows you through your entire career. The, it, it's, it's obviously been something of, of importance. What, what do businesses really have to learn about conscious capitalism? And what advice would you share with, with, a, with a CEO that might think differently? Well, I mean, broadly, conscious capitalism is a subset of what we created or people before me created uh, uh, in, in the space uh, really emerging out of the late 70s which came out of the whole 60s kind of revolution of consciousness then we came into the late 70s we had a lot of uh, uh, issues that came up in the investment world where early pioneers like Wayne Sylvia Calvert Investments were addressing things like apartheid and saying, don't invest in South Africa. Hmm. And that led to, uh, well, that was called social responsible investing. That led to, uh, in the mid eighties, the founding of Social Venture Network is the first leading organization of what you might call conscious capitalists today. That was founded in 88 uh, by Josh Nealman uh, and also uh, Wayne Silby, and uh, that organization uh, was kind of birthing the whole social responsible business world, as currently used back then. And back then, we had you know the double bottom line, which became the triple bottom line, which became the quadruple bottom line. So today, we talk about the four P's: people, profit, planet, and purpose. So uh, you know that whole evolution led to the formation of other organizations like Business for Social Responsibility. I was there at the founding of that in 96, which, which Social Venture Network fostered and other movements uh, ultimately like uh, social capital, the biggest uh, socially responsible investment form in the world, SOCAP, based out of San Francisco over the last 20 years. And so you had all of these aspects of multiple bottom lines, like the environment is one of your stakeholders, one of your investors, that whole concept of planet and people profit planet purpose uh, means that your largest investor in any company in the world is, is the environment. You know, you <laughs> foundationally are getting more investment from that in clean air, clean water, you know, sunlight uh, to operate a business in than any government or, or state could ever provide. So uh, when looked at from a stakeholder partner perspective, things uh, like that of an integrated perspective of you know, we're all in this together. Uh, we need to respect uh, the whole ecosystem that we're operating within. And that includes, uh, I think where the term conscious capitalism came from is conscious is about being aware of all the multi-stakeholder approach. And that whole piece really started to birth the multi-stakeholder approach in the late nineties. We had the whole evolution of ESG coming out of that period, environment, social governance, which you 
care about that led to corporate social responsibility, uh, you know, led to offices and organizations that were focused on things like the environment or the health of the people in new ways. So the term conscious capitalism is really seeing that whole perspective and that was invented by Raj Sodia and John Mackey. Raj is a professor at Babson College, my alma mater. And that's really where I helped build out. Um, actually in 94, I founded in front of the first uh, large gathering on social responsible business at a college university in the world of Babson. Uh, Raj joined our team about nine years ago and kind of built upon all these movements we were working on in the late eighties and on with John Mackey who founded Whole Foods. And they came up with a really innovative term, conscious capitalism, but there are other innovative terms like, you know, impact entrepreneurship or impact enterprise and other, you know, social capital. Uh, in the area of environmental investments, my business partners, Keith Rabb and Nick Parker and I created the Clean Tech Group and renamed environmental investing in 2002, Clean Tech. That ended up moving well over a trillion dollars of new capital over the last 20 years because we rebranded re 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 the entire environmental capital network and uh, our investment space and created the largest conferences and data provider in the world for then environmental investors. So, you know, rebranding, re-messaging, making it more inviting, making it more sexy, making it more cool. Conscious Capitalism uh, has done a great job with that and we're very active in that organization like guides. And there are other, uh, you know, you know, kind of suns and stars in the sky of the whole constellation of how we use business as a force for good. Oh my God. Oh. Well, if anybody just caught that, Mark, Mark just dropped the mic on his side because <laughs> wow, that was wow. That you I gave was us, thinking we, we bit off more than we could chew with Mark Donahue here. So, Kevin. I think so. Whoa. Your point about treating business as an ecosystem, that uh, that was pretty mind-blowing right there. I mean, an understanding of that that you're a small part in the true ecosystem of the planet at the end of the day. Um, I have to ask this question then, um, understanding your foundation and, and what, how you see in uh, business, how do you see culture and how have you been able to build the culture there at Life Guides that have, have obviously made you successful very quickly with the, uh, the efforts of uh, hitting a billion people in 15 years? Well, yeah, we do have a, a goal of possibly impacting uh, directly and indirectly a billion people's lives within 15 years as we scale with enterprises, both for-profit and non-profit enterprises that are partners with our uh, network, our community called Life Guides to support humans, employee families in lifelong learning and personal growth opportunities and in navigating a whole range of, of life challenges, which so often one wants to have human support, experience human support with uh, but it's hard to find. So for employers, we, we make that turnkey for their employees. So, you know, at, at that level, yeah, we're very much a mission-driven enterprise. And then within the concept of any enterprise, mission-driven or not, there's this aspect of culture. And culture usually is a combination of, of values and practices and how you walk your talk and, uh, giving the whole community or tribe voice and co-creating an outcome that uh, is a fertile field to grow your enterprise in. So uh, 
culture is a is a uh, as foundational as capital to building enterprises. So without uh, effective and appropriate culture, you can't really grow a sustainable enterprise, an enterprise that will thrive and, and live. So yeah, culture at Life Guides is foundational. We put a lot of energy into it. We've had some ups and downs on that and learnings over the last several years, which has been really cool. That's been a great personal learning process for me. I won't say that I'm a culture creation genius, uh, but I have uh, people in the company I've founded who are are, are genius at it. And uh, what have you learned? Well, I think that uh, there's been a lot uh, learned along the way. Uh, you know, one of the things is uh, sometimes slowing down will speed things up. So, you know, culture is a very human dynamic. So uh, sometimes when you slow things down, it creates more space for people to breathe in a business because businesses want to move so quickly, particularly high growth tech, you know, rapid companies like a, a, a Life Guides or the whole Silicon Valley ecosystem. So you know, slowing it down in certain ways can be very good so that the humans can catch up with, uh, you know, the evolution of the enterprise. Uh, that doesn't mean you restrain your business, but it might be mean you have the business meet people and they in their speed and pace. Uh, I tend to move very quickly and oftentimes will, you know, jump very quickly. Uh, my mind just processes complexity quickly, digests it. So, you know, that, for example, can make people feel less heard because, yeah. uh, you know, it, it feels other people need more time to process and then they don't feel like they have a voice. So, Mm -hmm. That'd be an example about a personal learning to meet people in their own pace and, yeah. and where they are. But we could go through 20 other core lessons uh, like that that would be helpful if we if we only had another uh, few hours. A couple uh, of <laughs> I got all the time in the world for you, Mark. Yeah. So. <laughs> Mark you, dinner. yeah. <laughs> you know, culture is where it's at. And, you know, fortunately, businesses are getting that. Uh, Life Guides is a solution that really enhances the culture of caring. And it's really designed as a solution for companies that want to be an innovator and leader in employee caring and uh, do that in a really humanistic way. So, you know, for me, uh, Getting that right has, has been more important than I imagined, uh, particularly Life Guides, where we're enhancing that dimension for other companies. So we have to walk our talk at a, a deeper level. I will say that when you, our mission driven enterprise with the type of values and vision that Life Guides has, that because we're so aspirational, that people can set the bar higher for us than sometimes it's even realistic mm -hmm. uh, like for example employee expectation of let's say perfection within life guides so it's important that we you know as leaders of mission-driven enterprise those who self-identify that way realize that and uh you know it's ask people to just be gentle and realistic with us as leaders because uh you know while we want to continually innovate and do better let's not make perfection the enemy of good you know good enough the enemy of perfection 
So, yeah. you know, we, we just have to be careful with that. Right. And you mentioned the, the word slow down a few times there, and I, and I caught that. And uh, Mark, I saw that you uh, went to the Zen Center of Santa Fe. Whatever you learned there, how do you translate and use that into the business world? You know, if we're all go, go, go all the time and trying to kind of detach from any materialistic item for say, how, how do you do, how do you translate it into the business world? Well, um, yeah, no, I uh, just, first of all, I'm in a year long uh, training on socially engaged Buddhism with uh, Roshi Joan Halifax and Kozan Matvlevsky and around 40 of the other leading teachers in the Buddhist world. And uh, so we have uh, 300 people in the training and uh, Roshi Joan Halifax is uh, one of the people I respect most on the planet, a uh, really amazing person of living and loving kindness and uh, uh, really teaching uh, teaching that to the world. And uh, she has a particular specialty in end of life care, but uh, really is in service. Uh, yet, uh, you know, beyond my 30 years of, of Buddhist practice, I have, you know, 30 years of, of Hindu practice. I have you know, 50 plus years of Christian practice. I have, you know, over two decades of being very uh, much in the How old are you? I'm just kidding. Oh my God. So do you, do, you, do you see how religion can be mixed, like a, a, a just a greater purpose? Like you mentioned this, the, the, one of the men that you respect most in the world, what, what, what makes him stick out and, and, and be so different? Well, that's a, a her, yeah, Roshi John Halifax. But uh, yeah, religion is foundational. So these are the uh, uh, guidelines for the majority of the human species for how to live a good life. Uh, they define a lot of the story of what we consider shame. Uh, they define a lot of the story of what we consider being heroic. Uh, so you know, one just needs to read the, you know, the Old Testament, which is obviously shared uh, with Judaism and Christianity. And these are, you know, heroic stories. You know, Moses is a heroic story. So, uh, so much of our cultural identity, speaking of culture early and our earlier our values, what we consider uh, social responsible business or conscious capitalism is derived from the foundations of religion. So the most uh, simple way over the last decades that I've defined uh, social responsible business, conscious capitalism, whatever you want to call that whole area, business of force for good, is I say it's really just living by the golden rule. Now the golden rule goes across many different religions. So in you know Christianity, it's uh, as you sow, so shall you reap. In uh, Buddhism, it's the law of karma. We can go through all the major uh, religions, all the nonviolent religions have uh, clearly this precept, uh, this, this dimension at their core. Uh, so, it, you know, when you think about as you treat others, you'll, you know, receive back. Uh, as you treat nature, so shall you receive back. As you treat God, so shall you receive back. As you treat yourself, as a reflection of God's spirit, so shall you receive back. You know, if you apply that to business, then you've got business as a force for good, and it changes the entirety of eternity. Yeah. 
It is, it's that's I, it's funny because I literally was just saying that to him the other day. I said this is this is what I live by, and it, it served me well thus far. Um, wow, Mark, giving us a lot to chew right there. Um, so I'm I'm almost speechless in a way. Um, so I have to ask, um, what is coactive coaching? Because I also saw you got a certification in that. What is what is that, and, and how do you apply that that practice? Well, that's from a organization called CPI that's based in San Rafael, California. They they are the largest coaching certification organization in the English world. I just that was be a, a, a certification that I took, uh, you know, eight or nine years ago. And you know, coactive coaching tends to be focused on perspectives on you know what way you're looking at things. So like the old story of you know, you, you touch an elephant's. Uh, tail and what is it you might think it's a, a snake you know you grab an elephant's foot what do you think it is might think it's a tree so you know a lot of life is uh stuck in those perspectives mm -hmm. and uh also those assumptions you know uh you know ruiz's book uh uh the four assumptions i believe it's called uh that's not, not quite the title but the uh the, the, the basic core thing there was you know don't make assumptions about about people and proactive coaching uh, has this whole dimension of being very aware of what angle, what perspective, what values you're bringing to your experience because that completely changes your outcome. Mm -hmm. Yeah, intention drives attention. Uh, that's uh, that's for my friend, uh, Dr. Nick Molinaro. Uh, I, I saw yeah. that you uh, attended a few CEO camps, Mark. And I'll probably never attend one, but um, <laughs> just asking you, what goes on at those things? Yeah, well, I can assure you, I'm usually able to get a, a word in anywhere. So uh, <laughs> he was trying to be yeah. too polite with that question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, I'm a six foot tall, six foot four tall Irishman. Uh, you know, yeah. so you can uh, wiggle your way in there. Yeah, yeah, and uh, fortunate to have been born. Uh, you know, white and in America with all that perceived authority uh, based on the way we, you know, racially uh, profile people. So, you know, I have instant built-in authority a lot in my life and in my birth. And so, yeah, uh, and you know, those types of gatherings fortunately are changing and evolving, getting more diverse and uh, more and more inclusive. Uh, I've been parts of uh, many leadership groups for the last, uh, you know, 30 years, uh, particularly in recent times, uh, Singularity University, uh, which is about exponential technology, certainly uh, studying with Dr. Peter Diamandis, the founder of the X Prize and uh, founder of Singularity University. Uh, Peter's amazing with his books, uh, Bold and Abundance. And I mean, his uh, kind of private CEO network for the last six years, uh, mentoring called Abundance 360. I think certain uh, organizations like Summit are really amazing, Summit Series, if you want to be around what they call a festival ideas at the larger gathering, not quite as small and intimate oftentimes, but some of the gatherings are, but if you really want to be around Asian doer, thinkers, leaders, uh, you know, obviously Babson College, we're an alum and was professor of entrepreneurship, was on the board of overseers for nine years. I, you know, that's another amazing, you know, leadership community, CEO community. So, 
Social Venture Network, which I mentioned earlier, obviously, I was chair of the membership committee there in 99 and been very involved over the last uh, now 29 years, which is amazing. Uh, so, you know, these are some of my favorite uh, organizations and also conscious capitalism that we talked uh, uh, earlier about, uh, you know, amazing, uh, amazing organization. You can read the book. Uh, uh, so, uh, you know, everybody has to find their own tribes. I mean, I'm uh, into uh, exponential technology. So the evolution of technology and how that's rapidly you know, exponentiating two to four to eight to 16 to 32. This is not a linear progression anymore. Mm -hmm. I'm very much into uh, the environmental uh, communities and impact. I, I chair and founded the uh, Sustainability and Energy Forum at Babson College. It's been going on for over 15 years, and obviously clean tech group. So, you know, we we try and bring together and convene uh, leaders in uh, sustainable enterprise, sustainable business, environmentally sensitive. In fact, like Paul Pullman, the past chairman and CEO of Unilever, we just had at Babson at my annual event, uh, who's an amazing example of leadership in, in that realm. You know, so for, for me, people have to define, you know, what turns them on. There's, you know, some people want to be Mother Teresa and on the front lines in that way of rolling up their sleeves and being in the service and suffering. Uh, others are uh, you know, elevating in different ways by say, bringing capital to great ideas or being great manager leaders. And everybody has to figure out what, what feeds them. I made a decision a long time ago uh, in the late eighties as I was graduating college that uh, even though I came from a lower middle-class family and didn't, didn't have uh, much uh, advantage, certainly, uh, uh, surprised I even got through Batson financially, but fortunately they uh, gave me uh, a full scholarship because it was the first time they had ever done that. Uh, best decision they ever made, maybe. Potentially <laughs> well, the best they, decision. They, they, they've, done very, they've done very well on that investment. So, yeah. <laughs> I, think, I, I, think, so I think that paid off a lot. <laughs> I think they, they, they can agree with that. Uh, uh, but uh, it might hit you up for more money after this, Mark. Yeah, you know? uh, just uh, wait, wait till the show is put on. I'm sure the phone will ring. Yeah, uh, actually, I, I don't think they've ever actually asked me for a check. Actually, so, I was so involved in alumni affairs and development uh, for the last 30 years that you know, I just you know, you just give and you do what you're doing, and you know, I, I don't think I've ever actually been asked by Babson for anything uh, financially uh, ever in, in, in 30 years. Or more than that. Uh, so uh, you, you just want to give to something that's as good as that and uh, show up for the game, give to the next generation. Uh, but yeah, so there, there are these communities. For me, I made the decision uh, early on that uh, I was okay for me to uh, want to really enjoy life, live in abundance, uh, and have it all. And you know, I don't need to be a monk uh, living in a cave or an ascetic. And yeah, I was going to focus on doing exponential goodness on the planet, but uh, you know, I've decided to uh, have a lot of pleasure related to that, and I, I feel great about that. Yeah, as you should. I mean, you're doing you're doing it in a totally different way, and everybody has their way to make an impact or their mark on 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 this world or anybody's even day. You're making my day. This is probably a day that I don't think I'll forget uh, because of of just everything that you're giving us. 
Um, one of the things that I wanted to, to always ask a man of, of uh, and I think you alluded to, to one of the mentors in your life, but I've always been a person that's flourished under mentorship. Who is a mentor to, to a person like you, Mark? Well, I've had uh, five uh, amazing mentors in my life that have significantly defined my life. Now that would be uh, excluding uh, anyone in my family, like my sister Elena, who's my closest friend and who's mentored me a lot in my personal growth and, and spiritual growth and uh, understanding of uh, kind of a holistic uh, uh, approach toward human health, an integrative health model. Uh, certainly Bill Crookshank, who at Babson, I believe most people would agree was the most loved person in the history of Babson. He ended up uh, uh, you know, being like a second father to me and mentored me was actually my business partner for about 10 years out of uh, after I graduated from school and uh, we created a very close uh, relationship. They renamed the Lifetime Achievement Award at, at Babson after him perpetually because he had gotten it so many times. <laughs> then there's people like uh, Barbara Marks Hubbard who I co-edited her seminal book on the evolution of human consciousness in 1997, Conscious Evolution, encouraged everybody to get that. And uh, she just passed a year and a half ago, uh, but we were just working on uh, our next uh, work when she died at 89 uh, uh, on uh, the next stage of, uh, you know, what we call evolutionary entrepreneurship, the next stage of entrepreneurship on the planet. It's the combination of all the powers, all the awarenesses, uh, all the insights and an evolutionary perspective on what's needed to actually use the radical concentration of power that's going into the hands of a few people on the planet wisely so Barbara Marks Hubbard, one of my key mentors, you know, Hazel Henderson, the futurist economist who's still alive uh, uh, since the early 90s, one of my close uh, uh, mentors, one of Barbara's uh, key friends, Ralph Metzner, who I studied with for almost 20 years, who uh, is, uh, was dean of uh, California, Institute, California Institute of Medical Studies, but you know, author of 17 books on a whole variety of areas of mysticism, shamanism, uh, indigenous uh, cultures of healing and uh, uh, mind and body and spirit expansion. So Ralph was one of my uh, very key mentors. Obviously, I'm now working with uh, Roshi Joan Halifax at the Ohio Zen Center. These are all, yeah. you know, seminal, uh, you know, extraordinary uh of people in my life and and you know that there are others i mean i uh you know i certainly uh have mentored a lot of people in my life in short uh intense periods my model has not been a lifetime relationship it's been how can i help somebody quickly and not create uh disappointment like mm -hmm. you know that you know i'm, I'm going to be there for all things at all times but how can i help you right now uh, with my insights, my love, my genius, whatever. Uh, yet, uh, yeah, I mean, there are certainly uh, some people in my life who uh, I'm mentoring and uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful process. And uh, I'm very fortunate to still uh, be mentoring and learning right now from, from many people, particularly in the healing arts, because I do healing work in some areas of trauma, particularly childhood trauma with people. And, you know, how do you uh, 
how do I continue learning to be more effective as in helping people through those types of uh, uh, very challenging emotions uh, in life. I'm sure you have so much wisdom to share and anybody that was lucky enough, I think I'm going to take this hour as a full uh, mentorship hour with uh, Mark. Here. Yeah, Mark, so, I was thank you. Ask you how, how quiet does your mind get? Because I've just recently been picking up meditation, prayer and practicing principles and all the old timers always say how quiet their mind gets. And mine's not very quiet, Mark, but uh, I think you have a little more experience than me. When does that kick in? Well, so... The key thing you want to do with meditation is to shift your patterns. So uh, we oftentimes have loops that go around uh, in our mind. Oftentimes they're attached to stories that ingrain and help us relive our trauma. And our busy mind oftentimes keeps on recycling some of these stories and Oftentimes recycles punishing ourselves, hurting ourselves with you know, shame, blame, anger. Uh, so uh, be very gentle with yourself. Uh, having true uh, lucid calmness, uh, infinite presence. So that's really just being completely connected. So it's like literally, it's a it's a spirit based eternal moment in a certain way when you do find true the calmness the stillness of all eternity the not being attached not being directional just being present for a moment which might just be in your breath yet you don't need to achieve that to transform the patterns just continue doing small practices whether that's even you know three or four breaths a day to just shift some of the, the patterns and some of the stories, some of the, you know, the chatter. And, you know, it, you know that's great. If you can just accomplish that, it's, it's amazing. And then if you are trying to practice meditation, I'll just say as a you know, very simple foundationally, I would highly encourage people to be focused on their breath. And then if you have a thought that comes to mind that starts to get into your, your moment of trying to, meditate whatever meditate is i would just name it thought and say thought whatever the thought is just say oh that that's a thought and try and let it go don't say more than that there's no judgment good bad why why are you coming into my brain thought there's none of that just yeah. oh thought if you have a feeling like an itch or scratch or you know upset or whatever just say feeling and then just thought feeling breath Ultimately, it takes all the judgment out of the space and you you will settle more and more into your, your breath and ultimately uh, reset your patterns. After that pandemic, I'm sure a lot of us need to reset our patterns and we're starting to see the importance of all this mental health and mental wellness. And that's why I love what you're the work that you guys do at Life Guides because I think it's so important right now. And like you said, uh, it's going to be awesome to watch the ride of the organization as more companies refocus their efforts and energy back on the people. Um, so I love that. What is a guy like you, um, when you're grown, like, what would you tell your younger self, Mark? What is something you wish that you, you knew when you were younger after all this experience that you've had from all these different religions and everything else like that? What is something you wish you could tell your younger self? Well, you know, 
we can't rewrite history as we know. So I try not to live in the past, although that you know is easier said than done. There, there can be a few regrets along the road of life, but that's not what my life story is about, fortunately. Uh, you know, a simple level. Uh, you know, it would have been wonderful if at a younger age, I understood uh, how to love and how to receive love more effectively. Uh, if I uh, understood the, the power of, of just simple kindness uh, more effectively, uh, if I knew how to slow things down a bit more, if I knew how to uh, channel upset in a way that didn't, uh, act out on people, uh, you know? So, uh, you know, if you see the level of energy I have now, imagine when I was bouncing off the balls <laughs> at age 29. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> your poor mother. Yeah, your poor mother. Yeah, you, uh, you were running yeah. circles around that lady. Oh my <sighs> gosh. Yeah. Well, she, she, could, she could hold her own quite well. Uh, yeah, so. I can imagine. <laughs> I can only see you, your sister, and your mother at this table and the conversations that you guys must have. It must be just electric, I can only imagine. Yeah, well, you know, there's intelligence and there's other dynamics. But yeah, I mean, truth be known, my mother had a lot of anxiety and, and fear. And I inherited also the perfection gene from her. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, perfection... Uh, you know, what perfection does is it actually takes energy from you. It actually doesn't create energy. And so it's very hard uh, uh, thing to learn. Some wonderful writings on this in uh, Julia Cameron's The Artist's Way, which I'm just uh, rereading right now uh, on well, that book in general is genius, but uh, just the whole aspect of perfectionism. So that would be another thing that I would have learned to rewire in myself earlier. It's It's been a real gift because I have the ability to go into details with amazing clarity and still be visionary, uh, which is you know kind of magical. So that's differentiated me in the world. But at another level, uh, the perfectionism has created uh, less ability to relate to people at times, less kindness and uh, more you know, judgment of my own uh, uh, ability and what I'm doing. So yeah, I would be rewiring a, a lot of life if I had the choice. I, I bet we all would if we I think could. you made out just okay though. I'm just yeah. gonna, I mean, I don't know, let me say you made out all right. And I always like use perfection as an excuse to not be good at things, you know. I was uh, would not try anything unless I was perfect at it. So I really didn't grow too much for a while. And I was wanted to ask you, Mark, if you knew that you couldn't fail at anything, what would that what would you do? Well, what I'm doing now, life guides, obviously I've chosen to do with my life. And, uh, you know, with Enterprises as our partner, we're going to reduce suffering and struggle for a billion people. But ultimately, the platform that we built of uh, matching up people who've been through a specific life event or life experience already with people who are currently trying to navigate that life experience uh, is foundational to human well being in every country, every culture. Uh, and you know, ultimately, in one form or another, what we're doing right now, technology will enable 
uh, more effective ways to use the, the genius, the life experience, the love, the empathy of humanity and match it up to others to share it, to give it more value, to give it more meaning, to give it more impact. And also for the people who are giving the gift, while we pay our guides, giving the gift of sharing uh, their, so to speak, their wealth, their, their, their life experience, wisdom and empathy, it really serves and feeds both sides of the equation. So, uh, you know, I feel like the model we have is foundational and it's a model that will be here a thousand years from now, certain other models with technology that serve other needs, like let's say a match.com will be here a thousand years from now too, because they serve a foundational human need and technology helps them, you know, enable it. Yeah. Um, a guy like you with all these life experiences, all, and you seem to be quite the observer. It sounds like listening is something that you've learned as a key characteristic. What, if you were to write a book, what would you title it and what would it be about? Well, I am writing a book and it's on the evolution of entrepreneurship. So it's, it's really the next uh, stage of evolution of entrepreneurship and what that means in the exponential technology era as we're trying to also uh, integrate our evolutionary perspective on uh, where we've been, where we are, and where we're going. And as for the first time in uh, history, uh, if, if one believes in God or spirit, which I do, uh, you know, we're actually as a human species, uh, not only are we conscious and aware of the whole system, or at least the system of earth, at least at the, at the level of current uh, levels of perception, uh, we, we actually have the power not only to be self-conscious of all of that, self-aware, uh, directional. We actually have the ability right now to, to change the direction and the outcome of evolution itself. We've seen that with the species degradation of over a million species that have been lost uh, in planetary existence already. Well, we actually have the power now as a species uh, to actually co-create with God in the outcome of evolution. And yeah, there's aspects of this that uh, I think are very scary that I'm not endorsing here, certainly like, uh, you, know, uh, you know, gene sequencing babies to come out certain ways or fetuses, you know, that's rather crazy science. But there's other aspects here of how we use things like artificial intelligence and you know, communications, global sensors, uh, to, and even things like space exploration to redefine the story and vision of what's possible for humanity. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, ultimately, uh, these entrepreneurs that are backing space exploration, it might look like ego and it might look like capitalism, which there's some of that there. Uh, yet also at another level, a lot of these people are uh, leaders in space exploration are trying to create the possibility to redesign the future for humanity. You know, if we, if for example, we look at Earth 100 years from now as where we live a beautiful, healthy, 
sustainable life. And we do manufacturing and extraction of minerals and things like that, let's say on the moon. That makes Earth sustainability-wise from an environmental perspective, there's no more of this carbon mm -hmm. piece. You know, the cars are electric and the system becomes electric and, you know, have a lot of, you know, heavy outcomes of manufacturing machinery can actually be done in space. If you start uh, creating, you know, colonies wherever, let's say that's moon ultimately, or look at where we could be two, 300 years from now in an exponential technology curve, it, it's not uh, it's not Star Wars here, but it's not far off, yeah. and that you know that could end up you know reducing conflict on the planet. That could you know completely shift the, the fighting of nation states in the way we do things. It's certainly at some point with the abundance we can create here, we're going to end things like there are still you know three to five hundred thousand people on the planet at minimum that are slaves. There are you know, over a billion people that don't have potable water. This is crazy in this era. So, you know, what we have the ability to co-create right now with God, with spirit, with just purpose, uh, you know, really purpose beyond self, because that's what we're wired for. We as a species are wired to be fulfilled only when we live in purpose beyond self, a self-centered, egotistical, uh, control-focused, humanity would have killed itself long ago you know we have basic goodness in humanity and these this book to come back to your question that i'm working on is about you know what's possible in in this era that we're already in and and moving toward it at the speed of light wow yeah i yeah i wasn't even thinking that far ahead you're already 300 years down the road oh my gosh um wow mark Blew my mind multiple, multiple times throughout that process there. Uh, I am going to be re-watching and re-watching and re-watching this podcast. I don't know if the viewers will, but um, you've given us so much, so much to think about. One of the things that I've always wanted to understand is like, what is, and I think you alluded to it throughout the, some of the questions that we've already answered, but what gets Mark out of bed every single day to show up like you do? And how do you keep reinventing yourself? Oh, you know, I, uh, I'm really into creativity and uh, co-creativity is even more fun when you co-create with another. So that's really cool. I'm really into winning, you know, so, uh, you know, there is a certain game aspect of life. Uh, by the way, it doesn't have to be a win-lose game. One could just win. This is not a zero-sum reality. We can win. We can win, we can all win. That's the nature of the abundance in the era that we have. Even though in you know hyper-local dynamics, there are win-lose outcomes, clearly. And uh, so yeah, I'm uh, driven by all of that. I'm driven by personal growth and self-expression, connection to spirit. Uh, I love learning. Uh, you, you might uh, imagine that I like uh, you know, the genius of being, uh, you know, so it's not an ego statement. It's just, it's, you know, it's interesting to have had spirit give me the, the, the mind and heart and the situation I'm in in life for however long I happen to be here and healthy and 
productive. So, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, I'm not the type of person that's ever going to be retiring. And, you know, yeah. hopefully, hopefully I'm here in 30 years. And it just, just like, you know, my key mentors all were going strong. And, you know, when, you know, like Barbara Marks Hubbard, you know, at, at 89 plus, you know, it's, uh, this is, I have no doubt in my mind, Mark, that you will be working and, and really changing, but also creating disciples of, of seeing the world the similar way as you and um, sharing in that co-creating space. I think that's so important for businesses as they grow and look to adapt and develop that a lot of the information is already within, um, but they just don't know how to pull it out with the culture and that type of engagement because of the hierarchical structure that we're accustomed to today. Um, as we head into the last segment, Mark, um, it's, it's a part of the podcast where we ask you some stereotypical interview questions. So interview questions like you might have had way back when in your first job, um, which was, what was your first job? I have to ask. Well, it depends on how you define job, but <laughs> I would say that I created, I founded my first business, uh, which was a gardening business. And Grew that into a small business uh, in the valley we lived in in Framingham, Massachusetts, outside Boston. We didn't have much land, but I, you know, ended up making a nice business out of selling tomatoes and zucchinis to all the the, the, the ladies around uh, and uh, the mothers around and uh, hanging around my cute basket and being a firehead red cute kid. Used to get super premium prices and. You know, uh, that was that was very interesting that I, I actually was going to become a horticulturist originally. I wanted to create new plant species uh, when I was, you know, six or seven uh, was where I was then. That led to me uh, being in the landscaping business, led to me uh, doing other things around that. But I decided ultimately that wasn't quite it. And then I turned some of my other hobbies into other businesses as a as a as a child that uh were very in, very interesting but yeah i mean it's a complicated bumpy road i mean it sounds kind of interesting and fun but then i got so captivated by uh <coughs> business entrepreneurship that you know i went from uh being in the you know top five or ten percent of my high school class and playing university sports and being president of two clubs to being a high school dropout so i could go run uh, one of my businesses. So, mm -hmm. you know, uh, you know, and I had a lot of other complexity in that part of my life and uh, a lot of ups and downs, a lot of, you know, depression and, uh, and genius too, you know, mm -hmm. so uh, <coughs> it's, 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 it's not all been a simple ride, but yeah, you, you learn your lessons along the way and you got to sequence things right. Probably would have been smarter if I graduated high school first and then built a lot of them. <laughs> so you do have to go to school, but uh, wow. Okay. I, I mean, that was just uh, amazing in, in and of itself right there. So you've just always been a social entrepreneur. So you probably never had to have uh, the answer to these questions, to these interview questions. But Tyler, what is your first interview question for, for Mark? Mark, now that we had you on for a little bit, I got to know, what is your deepest fear and why? Deepest fear, well, that would depend on which level of existence. You know, there are dynamics of uh, dying an unconscious death. Uh, that sounds uh, unpleasant to me. Uh, 
but I've done a lot of practice uh, practices around death and dying and what that means and also being born. So I guess I'm, I'm more prepared than most people. I definitely uh, have a fear of failure. So, you know, when you have something as uh, special and magical as life guides where you can do such goodness on the planet, uh, clearly, uh, you know, that's like having a, a young child, you know, my three-year-old is life guide. So, you know, it would be just like a parent losing a child. Imagine that fear. So, you know, so that's how I feel about uh, the enterprise that we're, we're building. Uh, yeah, remember my mother was very anxious, I said earlier. So I have lots of uh, fears about many things. It's just a matter of what you do with it. And, you know, it's like uh, Andy Grove, who is... CEO of Intel for over 20 years said that uh, his best uh, friend and management uh, device was constantly being paranoid. Well, I'm not constantly paranoid, but still uh, it, it, fear can be a, a good uh, voice to listen to and understand life better. Mm. Wow. All right. So my interview question for you is if you could be any animal, what would it be <laughs> and why? Well, I would generally want to be a uh, one that was as sentient as possible. So uh, sentient as an aware, conscious. Uh, that seems like that would be more fun than being completely unconscious, uh, if that exists. I don't really know what their experience is like. So uh, that would probably be, uh, uh, you know, something like an ape or a chimpanzee uh, in, in uh, you know, that kind of, that kind of realm, uh, you know, more and more conscious, more aware, more ability to explore, you know, one of the greatest innovations was uh, having a thumb, you know, I think having a thumb sounds like a good idea if I'm going to be an animal. <laughs> yeah, especially if I'm scavenging for food, I definitely <laughs> like having a thumb in there, that's a, that's yeah. a hidden yeah. Um, so Mark, I just want to obviously say thank you so much for, for, for really stopping by and uh, allowing us the opportunity to interview uh, yourself. Um, I know I learned a, a ton from you. Uh, these types of conversations excite me. Um, you're almost creating an army with yourself on, on a new way of leadership, a new way of business that so many people I hope are listening and can learn from. Not only your background and your humble beginnings, but also to where, how that has factored into where you are today and what you're doing um, and really finding, I think, your purpose, um, like you mentioned, and sharing that little bit of genius with us today. So, Mark, I know I'm so grateful for taking the time out with us today. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much again for your time and uh, looking forward to next week. Stop back next week. Thank you, Mark. Bye.